The church is made up of people like you and me and all of them. The church offers a ton of benefits. When we love each other, we each feel like a part of the family. When we encourage each other, we each gain confidence. When we accept each other, we feel like we belong. When we care for each other, we each feel supported. We're all a vital piece in making the church what it was meant to be. When these are lived out well, the church is a community with amazing perks. What is up, Northridge Church? Man, I hope you're having a fantastic weekend. And thanks for taking a piece of your weekend and hanging out with us. And I want to challenge you before we get started, because I am sure in this couple months of stay-at-home church, you've kind of built some routines. Like, let's be honest, some of you are still in your pajamas right now. Some of you haven't even left your bed. Maybe you're by the lake or you're at your pool and you've built kind of these rhythms. And my challenge for you as we gear up towards regathering, coming back together to our campuses as a church, something that we've been looking forward to, in the next couple weeks, build some new rhythms. So wake up a little bit earlier, put some nice clothes on, maybe get your kids ready, act like you're getting ready to come to one of our campuses because we want to establish these new rhythms as we get closer and closer to regathering, something that I cannot wait to do. Well, have you ever had maybe a friend or someone you, who was close to you try to convince you of doing something or buying something? Right, and the way they do that is they tell you about all the benefits of the product or the perks of the products and how it's gonna change your life. You know, for you ladies, they might say, you know, hey, have you tried this cream? It will make you look 10 years younger. Or, or, or use this shampoo, it will make you look like one of the models. It's, it's amazing. Or for us as guys, like, have you tried that new gym? They, they do things differently, and man, the results are amazing. Hey, if you eat this type of diet, you're guaranteed to, to lose 20 pounds. Or if you use this tool, it'll save your back on all those home projects, right? They convince you of the benefits or the perks of the product that will change or transform your life. And I would suggest maybe the best place to find benefits, perks, is the local church. Yeah, you heard me. And, and that's actually why we're starting this brand new series for seven weeks, we're going to talk about the benefits or the perks of being part of the local church. And we're going to kind of attack it by studying some of the one another commands that Jesus gives to us as the local church. But before we dive too deep and we get too far into the series, I kind of want to establish some, some terms. I want us to understand what they are. You see, church perks. Let's start with the church. You see, we have to be reminded constantly that the church is people. It's never been about facilities or campuses or buildings. In fact, the, the Greek word for church is ecclesia, which simply means gathering. That's what the church is. It's, it's, it's a group of people gathering in the name of Jesus. And if there ever has been a season where maybe we get this, is a time where on a Sunday our church buildings are closed, not in use, and now we're gathering as the church over homes all over the world. It's crazy, it's amazing, because the church has never been about buildings, it's always been about a movement of people under the name of Jesus. Now let's talk about perks, right? Church perks. Well, perks are things that enhance or improve your life. They're things that you add into your life that you benefit from, that improve or enhance your way of living. 
And what's so amazing about the church, the gathering of people, is when you get in community and when you love people and when you encourage people, you feel those perks. You get to experience the benefits of the local church. And man, that probably sounds pretty good to you. Sounds good to me, but here's, here's kind of a caveat, a disclaimer. Because it's not all about receiving the benefits. Because you have to understand, you will not only receive benefits, but you will be a benefit for someone else. That's kind of the unique thing about church perks, right? Is you'll be the vehicle of supplying those perks, but you'll also be the recipient of them. It works both ways. And for the next seven weeks, we're going to dive into this series and we're going to start in John chapter 13. So here, let me encourage you to grab your Bible right now, jump in your phone, and go to John chapter 13. We're going to kind of walk through a very familiar passage. Even if you didn't grow up in the church, you might have heard this story where Jesus washes his disciples' feet. And so if you got your Bibles, let's do this. John chapter 13, we're going to start at the very beginning. It says this, it was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And here, this is just kind of setting the scene. And what's happening in the story is Jesus is getting ready to go to the cross. He's about ready to fulfill his mission, his purpose here on earth, to die for our sins, to conquer those sins by resurrecting from the dead three days later. He knows that's right around the bend, the corner. And yet here's what he does is knowing that he kind of leaves his disciples this last message, one of his final teachings to the people closest to him, the guys he spent three years investing in, loving, and trying to create a movement in. It would be much like this. Maybe you're on your deathbed, right? And your grandchildren around, your children, what are the last things you want to instill in them? That's kind of this moment for Jesus. Instead of teaching them with his mouth, he displays it for them to see. Verse 2, it says this, the evening meal was in progress. And the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a the towel that was wrapped around him. And so as Jesus begins this message, he really displays it, where he stops the evening meal and he does something unique. He, he takes out his outer garments and he begins to wash the di disciples' feet. And the whole purpose of this, this example is to display, to show his love for some of his best friends. And there's a couple of things I want us to see right up front about love, Jesus displaying his love, that we have to understand. Number one, loving people is not an elevated job. You know, when you choose to love someone like Jesus loves you, it's never going to be a job that is like elevated where you're going to look good in it. See, the whole purpose of loving someone is to actually humble yourself and put someone before you. And here we have Jesus. Remember who Jesus is. The name above every other name. The guy who's on the, 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 or, the highest or part of the org chart in the entire world. And where do you find him in this story? On his knees below everybody. Because loving people isn't some elevated position. It's actually humbling and often humiliating. The second thing we have to understand about love is love often requires you to dive into the mess. 
Love, if Mike Rowe would say, is a dirty job. It's not pretty or beautiful. Oftentimes, it's kind of nasty and disgusting and messy. Showing your love often requires you to dive into the mess. And when I think about this point, I think about my dad. You know, in my family, this is going to sound kind of unique and maybe a little bit awkward, but in my family growing up as a little kid, one of the, most be- one of the best ways that we could show dad that we loved him and were thankful for him was by massaging his feet. I know it's kind of weird and awkward, but my dad just loved when someone would spend time talking with him and massage his feet, rub his feet. And here's what's weird about that. That doesn't sound that awful. But if you've ever seen my dad's feet, you would beg to differ. I can say this because, Dad, you're dead, so you won't mind. But my dad's feet were the most disgusting feet I've ever seen in my life. He played college sports, and let's just, let's just say it, the funguses were taking over. His toenails were changing colors, and it was, it was so bad that my wife, Ashley, wouldn't get within feet of my dad's feet. It was nasty. But, you know, as a kid, I never mind. I never minded. I never minded the mess because I just wanted my dad to know that I loved him. And the truth is, is loving someone is often messy. And we see this with Jesus. He's washing people's feet, one of the most disgusting jobs in the culture, right? They, they didn't walk around and have cars to, to drive them around. In, in this culture, feet were the most disgusting body part that a person had. There was no Nikes or Adidas. You often walked to places. It wasn't like, oh, hey, here to the end of the mailbox. It was like you walked from here to Syracuse. So loving someone to, to wash their feet, to humble yourself, was a messy and not an elevated job. And as Jesus does this, we see some responses to this type of love. Verse six, we see Simon Peter's response. It says, he came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, are you gonna wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord Simon Peter replied, not just my, hand, my, my feet, but my hands and my head as well. And so Jesus comes to Peter, one of his closest friends. And as Peter sees him coming, he's like, no, Jesus, like you're God, you're, you're the Messiah. If, if anything should happen, I should be washing your feet, Jesus, not, not this way. And what, what Peter felt was unworthy. He didn't feel worthy enough for the Messiah, the Son of God, to actually wash his feet. He, his response to, to Jesus' love was he felt unworthy of it. And I would bet all of us get that, right? Because if we, if we look at our past, and we look at our disobedience and we look at our sin, we, we recognize really fastly how wretched of human beings are, we are, how sinful we are. And, and man, when God tries to love us, perfection tries to love us, our, our natural response is to feel unworthy. That's exactly what Peter felt. And I would bet maybe some of you today listening, the very thing that is keeping you from experiencing the fullness of God's love is that sense of unworthiness. Because you look at your past and it's so big and it's so nasty, you think there is no way God could love me. And, and really, I think Peter's response is actually the right response because the truth is, is we are unworthy of God's love, but the amazing, miraculous thing is that he still offers it to us freely. And so Peter felt unworthy, but there was a second response to this, and we don't see it directly in the text, but it says this in verse 10, Jesus answered, he's still talking to Peter, it says, those of you who had a bath 
need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. And you are clean, here it is, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. And so the second response to Jesus' love, we find in, in Judas, the guy who was responsible for betraying Jesus for a couple coins. And his response to God's love was just simple rejection. He didn't want it. And it's amazing to me. This, this blows my mind that Jesus can love somebody perfectly, flawlessly, and yet they can still choose to reject that. It's one of the hardest things in life, right? To, to put your, your love out on the line, to love somebody with everything that you got and for them to push it back in your face, not reciprocate that love. But do you realize that God experiences that on the daily? That he gave up his one and only son to die on a cross for our sins, to pay a penalty we couldn't, and there are constantly people who spit in God's face, who, who, who don't want to have anything to do with his love. And we see these two responses, this feeling of unworthy and, and just rejection to God's love. But then Jesus actually turns the table of the story and puts the focus now on us, on his disciples, on you and me. Because in verse 12, this is what he says. He says, when he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightfully so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and your teacher, have washed your feet, here it is, he says, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set an example, I have set you an example that you should do as I have done. And here Jesus does, he puts the spotlight on us. He says, do you realize what I've done? I didn't just show you an example for you to watch. I showed you an example so you could live it out. Jesus says, you should wash one another's feet. And he doesn't mean that literally. He's not calling all of us to, to go out into the world and just scrub people's feet. No. But yet he, he pans it out for us. Verses later in verse 34, he says this. He says, a new command. And I, I love that word command, and I love the strength behind it, because this is an optional for us who claim the name of Jesus. This is the general's orders. you got to live this out. If you know Jesus, this is your marching orders. He says, this is a command I give to you. Love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. And here's one of the biggest mistakes we make as Christians in interpreting this verse. Because most of us believe that Jesus is calling us to love people. And honestly, that's not what he's saying there. Because if we, if we leave it just there, if we just say, hey, I want you to love people. We see this all over church mission statements, like love God, love others. But the problem with that is if I choose to love people, I get to determine who to love and when to love and how to love. But Jesus' command was much deeper than that. He said, I want you to love people the way I love you. And what that does is it takes the standard through the roof. It doesn't, it washes away all your excuses for not loving the people who are ridiculously hard to love. And then he says in verse 35, he says, oh yeah, by the way, by this, by you choosing to love people the way I love you, by that, everyone, so your neighbor, your coworker, your coach, your school teacher, and the list goes on and on. Everyone, Jesus says, will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So, so let me press in here for a second. I wonder how people know you and me. 
Because I would suggest that many Christians aren't actually known by loving like Christ's love. I would suggest that many Christians are known for how good we are at debating and arguing and judging and complaining and posting on social media. That's what we're known for. And why aren't we known by what actually Jesus wants us to be known for? And so as we study this passage in its depths, Jesus is actually giving us a very simple command. What we should take home from this message and this passage is what Jesus is asking us to do. It's simple. Love as Christ loved. That's the call. That's the command. And it's a very simple command. But here's the reality. The implications of this command are very, very complicated. Hard to live out. Because we have to study how Jesus loved and who Jesus loved. And when we study who Jesus loved, here's the conclusion we will come to. Jesus loved all. Yeah, there it is. There wasn't a person that Jesus didn't love. The most famous passage in all the Bible, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world and everyone in it. And if that's true, this is where this message gets really difficult. This is where I'm probably going to step on your toes, and I'm okay with it because it's the truth of God's word. Because if Jesus loved all, who is all? Well, let's flesh this out a little bit. Well, all, Jesus loved, number one, his enemies. The very people who couldn't stand Jesus, who disagreed with Jesus, who wanted Jesus dead, the very people who just just didn't want anything to do with Jesus, yep, Jesus loved them. In fact, this is what he tells us to do with our enemies. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus, his own words, he says, I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Jesus says, hey, you are actually supposed to love your enemies. That's not how we live in our culture today. And the way we do that, he fleshes it out for us. He says, hey, pray for those who persecute you. Because Jesus realized that it's really hard to hate somebody who's on your prayer list and who you're praying for regularly. Because when you choose to pray for your enemies, what happens is your heart begins to soften towards them for them to experience the love and the grace and the mercy that you have experienced. So let me ask you a question. Who is your enemy? I know what you're all going to do, right? Like, (laughs) I don't have any enemies. I I like to live in peace. I like everybody. Don't give me that nonsense. Who is your enemy? Who is the person that when you see them post on social media, or who's that person when you see them on on the TV, you just cringe, and you you grit your teeth, and, and you just disdain them. You don't like them. You roll your eyes at them. That's your enemy. Let me give you some examples. Maybe for you right now, it's the cops. Right? You just can't stand the way cops treat people. Or, or maybe for you, it's the Black Lives Matter organization or the rioters or the looters. Those might be your enemies. Just even seeing them kind of makes you uncomfortable. And here's what I want you to know. When it comes to loving like Jesus loved, your dislike for that person or that group, what it does is creates a bullseye and God's showing you where you need to show love. As hard as it is to hear that, as much as you don't want to do that, that's what God's calling you to, to love like he loved. And so when you think of your enemy, God's just shining a spotlight on where you need to pray for and love. 
And we don't want to live this way. It's, it's actually the opposite of the way, way we live. But Jesus loved all, and part of all was his enemies. But then secondly, Jesus loved those who would vote differently than him. You might push back and be like, okay, come on, Drew, you're, you're just getting too relevant right now. But here's, here's the reality of Jesus' culture. The Romans were in political power. And I bet all the money in the world that Jesus didn't agree with how they treated people and how they ran policies and how they ran their government. But yet Jesus still loved them. Jesus still died for them. And when it comes to politics, it might be one of the most divisive topics in our culture today. All it is is wedging a gap between people and Christians together. And I'm going to say this, and it's going to make some people mad, but I believe this. Some of you today, you worship your political party more than you worship your God. And it's become a problem. And we must learn to love even the people who disagree with the policies that we like who disagree, who are Republicans or, or Democrats. Here's, here's a reality check. Jesus actually loved even the people who agreed with abortion. He, he didn't believe the same thing they did. He didn't accept their way of thinking, but yet it didn't stop him from loving those people. And as Christians, we need to follow that example. Just because we disagree with somebody doesn't give us the excuse not to love somebody. Because here's what Jesus knew. He knew debating with somebody wasn't going to change their way of thinking, but loving them like he Christ's love might actually do the trick. So Jesus loved his enemies. He loved the people who voted differently than him. And then third, Jesus loved the people who killed him. It's absolutely mind-blowing. Shocking, right? The very people who lined the streets and yelled, crucify him, crucify him. The very people who, put, who picked a, a criminal over Jesus. The very people who spit in his face and mocked him while he was hanging on the cross. Jesus loved even them. And there's this beautiful moment on the cross in Luke chapter 23 where Jesus is really suffering and dying for the sins of the world. And as people mock him and scorn him, here's his response to his dad. He says these words. He says, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And even as Jesus is suffering for something he didn't do, the wrong that he didn't commit, his response is love. Now, I'm just going to be real with you for a second. It's going to show you how flawed your pastor is. But honestly, if I was Jesus in that moment, I'd be like, Father, strike them down with lightning, kaboom, they are gone. Like, that's how I would feel. That's how I feel toward my, towards my enemies sometimes. And so that leads me to a really hard question that I don't like to answer, and I don't think you're going to like to answer. But my question is, is how are you at loving those people? How are you at loving your enemies the people you cringe at, you can't stand. The people who disagree with you when it comes to politics are Democrats or Republicans. The people who supported Trump. How, how are you at loving them? How are you at loving the people who hate you so much they might even want you dead? You see, Jesus' call is simple. His command is simple. But truly living it out requires a depth of love that I don't think we understand. And honestly, it feels quite impossible to live out. And when we look at his love, we see two really powerful things, things that we have to learn to live out. The num number one thing is we see his love was sacrificial. 
right? No matter the cost, Jesus loved. His love for people cost him his life. And here's what you have to understand is if you're gonna love like Jesus loved, it's gonna cost you greatly. You're gonna lose friends, right? Even the people who you think would understand that love won't because the very people who judged Jesus for loving the prostitute and the sinner and the tax collector, guess who they were? They were Christians. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, they were the ones who judged Jesus. And if you're gonna live a love like Jesus lived, you're gonna lose some close Christian friends because they just won't understand how you could love somebody like that. It's a sacrificial love. But then secondarily, it's a love that has no limits. It's without limits. There is nothing that you can do to get away, to escape, to run from the love of Christ. There is nothing below Christ's love. In fact, he even said in this passage, no servant is greater than their master. And what that means is his love has no bounds. It's, it's seemingly to us reckless, it's ridiculous, it's, un, it's not ordinary, it's crazy, it's wild, and it is without limits. So let me ask you another pointed question. What humble and disgusting act of love are you being called to right now? And maybe you don't know. Maybe this is hard to digest. But I want to give you one humble and disgusting act of love that you can start right now. It's to pray for those people who you can't stand right now, your enemies. To actually pray for a president who you might not support, who you think is crazy. To actually fall on your knees and pray for him. To pray for an organization that opposes everything you oppose, that you stand for. Maybe that's the first humbling step that we have to take as a church to love like Christ's love is to just pray for the people that we honestly don't want to pray for. And here's what happens, right? Here's the perks. Because the series is about church perks, the benefits of being part of a local church. There's two of them. When we love like Christ loved, the first perk is the church will experience unity. What's amazing to me is we think the division is out there. It's outside of our walls and in the way we live. But the truth is, is even inside the church, there's a lot of division and disagreement on so many topics. You know, I, I'm honored to lead a church that has Republicans and Democrats. I'm honored to lead a church that where people think and, and believe different things on theology. Because the truth is, is when we choose to love one another and we experience unity, unity doesn't mean we're not gonna disagree, but what it means is we all stand under the umbrella of Christ's grace and we can love each other even though we disagree. And when we choose to do that, we will experience a unity in this church that we maybe have never experienced before. So that's the perk for the church. But then the second perk is that the world will actually see Jesus through our love. You know, our mission here at Northridge Church is more and better, right? We say we wanna create uh, disciples who, who are grow better and, and who reach more. And oftentimes we like to kind of divide those two things into two separate categories. But really they actually work in unison together because 
for you as a Christian, for me as a Christian, those of us who have said yes to Jesus, to follow him. What's amazing is when we choose to love like he has called us to love, what happens is we become better disciples of Jesus Christ. We grow in that love that God has for us. And the result of us becoming better disciples of Jesus Christ is the people we interact with who are far from God, who don't want to have anything to do with God, they will see that type of love, a love that our world doesn't offer, a love that doesn't make sense. And guess what? They will actually get a glimpse of Jesus through us. So I'd ask you today, what is your love like? Do you love the people who have accepted you, who agree with you, believe what you believe, but neglected maybe the hardest place to love? Jesus says a new command I give you, to love others just like I have loved you. And maybe you're in, you're saying, Drew, I, I need to make some changes. I need to start praying for those who persecute for me. I need to start loving my enemies. I need to make some changes in my life. Here's what I want you to understand. I want to build a foundation for you. You need to understand this. You can't love like Jesus without Jesus. And so it would be easy for us in our emotion to get really excited about loving like Jesus and try to do it in our strength and in our might and in our ability. And if you do that, I promise you, you will constantly fail. You will be frustrated. But as Christ followers, we have to submit to the spirit that lives inside of us to allow it to lead us and guide us. And when we submit to the spirit of God, we can actually love the way Christ loved. And maybe you're here today and you've never experienced God's love. You've kind of heard about it. You want to believe in it. But today, maybe you want to say for the very first time that I want to experience a love that I've never experienced before. And if that's you, here's what I would challenge you to do. All of us is we would just bow our heads and close our eyes. And if you're a Christian today, here's a practical way to live out the message, to love somebody the way Christ loved you. If you would just pray for those who might make a decision right now, you pray for someone you know who hasn't met Jesus yet by name. And if you're here today and you have never trusted Jesus as a loving and a personal savior, all you have to do is say these words in your heart or out loud, God, I'm a sinner and my sin has shattered me, it's broken me and it's created a wedge between me and you. And so God, today I am turning from my sin. I'm asking you to forgive me and I am trusting in what your son accomplished for me, that his death defeated my sin, and the resurrection of Jesus gave me the victory to my sin. And so today I'm believing in you. Will you become my forgiver and will you be my leader and will you change me today from the inside out? And if you said that prayer, just one simple challenge, would you let us know? Man, don't, don't, don't be shy. I just want to celebrate with you. I want to dance with you. I want to party with you because it's the best decision you have ever made. And if that's you, grab your phone right now. Don't be afraid. Come on, just do it. Grab your phone right now and text TRUST 
to 585-210-8564. Here's why I want you to do that. So I can know you by name, so I can pray for you, so I can send you a Bible, so I can help you grow in your faith, so we can surround you with people who will love you and guide you. We want to be there for you. And so don't be shy. Grab your phone right now and text TRUST to the number on the screen. I'm telling you, we're ready to party for you. And so let me just pray for everybody right now. God, it is not easy to love like you loved. It actually might be one of the hardest commands you have ever asked us to live out as Christians. And God, in a culture and a climate that is so divided, so broken, may our light shine brightly. May our love radiate through the division. And may the way we love the people who disagree with us, the people who we don't like, give people a glimpse of your love. May we be a part of bringing unity back to our communities and our culture. God, use us in only ways that you can. In Jesus' name, amen.